Welcome to Invisible Machines, a podcast at the intersection of UX and AI. I'm Josh Tyson, a contributing editor to UX Magazine and co-author of the Wall Street Journal best-selling business book, Age of Invisible Machines. I wrote Age of Invisible Machines along with Rob Wilson. Rob is the CEO and co-founder of OneReach.ai, one of the world's leading conversational AI platforms. Rob and I wrote this book over the course of many, many, many Zoom calls. And we knew even as it was being printed that the conversation needed to continue. If ChatGPT has taught us anything in the past few months, it's that disruptions are going to come at a fast and furious rate. So in Invisible Machines, Rob and I are getting back to basics. We're going to hop in a Zoom room, or in this case, a Riverside studio, and talk about conversational AI and hyper-automation. Today we're going to talk about generative AI and how it might actually change the way we think about productivity and our relationship to work. As you'll hear when I initially queried Rob about this topic, his response was that maybe we needed to rethink our terminology. Maybe artificial intelligence is the wrong way to think about what we're creating here. I don't want to keep us from that conversation any longer, so let's get to it right now. Well, Rob, um, since it's on everyone's mind, I thought we should talk about generative AI uh, and and is that um, a creative a creativity killer or is it going to accelerate creativity as we move forward kind of in these uh, uncertain waters that we're navigating. Uh, I, I did see a LinkedIn post recently that said something to the effect of AI isn't going to replace you or AI isn't coming from your job. Someone using AI is coming for your coming job. Coming for your job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone's coming for your job. <laughs> Another person's coming from your job. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's okay. As long as it's not a machine. <laughs> Yeah, that's less scary. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, what is what is to make of the fear? First, first of all, I I really think you got to boil it back down to the question of AI being the right term. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's almost a sci-fi term. Like it certainly brings emotion and excitement and interest, artificial intelligence, an artificial human being, artificial brain. Oh my God, we're making humans, we're playing God, blah, blah, blah. Great for movies. But is it true, really, at the end of the day, that's, that that's what we're doing? I'd say that most of the folks I know in this space, and a fair number of them, that's not what they're doing. They're trying to make machines smarter, that's all. So if my skill saw knows the difference between cutting through a two by four or a finger, like that's good. <laughs> that's good for anyone. How is that? <laughs> and if artificial intelligence is another way of saying machines get smarter, uh, then why do we want dumb machines? Dumb machines are killing people already. Like cars, skill saws, uh, yeah. nuclear weapons. They're already killing people. Machines are one of the top killers of human beings if you lump them together, right? But they're saving far more lives than they're killing. And uh, and so it, it's a tough one. If you just say, look, we're on a continuum. We invented the machine. That happened. There's no going back to pre-machine, right? No one's going going to be dialing the clock back before machines were created 
and saying, hey, we should think about inventing the first machine because like the catapult, like well, how far back do you go, right? Um, so catapult the machine, it killed people. Machines have been killing us for a long time. Um, smarter machines, I think, mean actually might be the solution to the dumb machines today that are killing us. Mm-hmm. Maybe more of a remedy than it is a threat. Uh, and that the smarter a machine becomes, the more it protects us. I think we see that when we evolve machines to be smarter, it is for protection. So smarter machines are the way out of the machines that are already killing us. Cars are killing us. Smarter cars, how could that be bad? Um, same with all of the dangerous uh, factory machinery that can get smarter. So, you know, machines serve humans. They always have. Then likely that we're going to suddenly change that. Mm-hmm. Uh but having smarter ones and, and them progressively getting smarter just sounds like the end of machines killing us already. Well, and yeah, the idea of artificial intelligence not maybe being the best term is interesting because, yeah, yeah that term kind of suggests that what we should be trying to do is replicate human intelligence, whereas what you're describing is people who are actually trying to use this pragmatically. They're, they're trying to find ways to create better machine intelligence and that those, yeah. the machine intelligence uh, has a complementary relation, relationship with human intelligence. They're not meant to be competitive, right? They're meant to kind of function cooperatively. Yeah. It's a, I mean, most of the jobs were designed for humans. So people think that in order for machine do the jobs the humans they got to do the jobs like humans would do the job but that's the phase why would it i mean it makes more sense that we'll redesign jobs for machines mm-hmm. and not have machines do the jobs humans do um and like the inventive creative humans we are we will invent new jobs it's just like the invention of the home espresso machine was the beginning of the barista craze. Not the end of it. Yeah, <laughs> it just, really set things off. Yeah. Um, so I kind of just think we're like entering the age of a, you know, of a, a kind of, you know, waiter for every table. Not where you have a section of eight or six or eight tables that you got to manage as a waiter but now you have a one table one waiter like oh that's just up leveling the customer service better Um, ratios yeah so the idea that companies are going to automate jobs increase profit and keep customer service levels the way they are that makes less sense than understanding that customers and companies are competing now on their level of customer service. So what most companies that succeed will do is they will cut cost of delivering their current service so that they can apply people to providing a high, providing a higher level of service and competing with the next guy. So they don't have to raise their prices, but they can offer a higher level of customer service, which that's more in line with what consumers are demanding right now. And the companies that 
cut costs and don't increase the level of customer service with we'll the out of business. That's pretty simple, I think. kind of how it's always been. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. customer service expectations have gone up um, and satisfaction has gone down over the last couple of decades. So we expect a lot more than we're getting. There's a lot of room for improvement in this area. It's more likely that we're going to start closing that gap between what customers expect and what they get than we're going to suddenly just continue delivering the poor quality of customer service that we're delivering just to increase profits. Like I said, those those companies will exist, but they'll not for long. Yeah, and, and where do you see generative AI um, fitting into all this? There's been, it seems like ChatGPT and uh, applications like Dolly have set off a lot of kind of fear-based thinking about these technologies. Yeah. Uh, how do you think they really fit in um, to kind of the, the, the future? And that's that you same see? spectrum of smarter machines, you know. Um, people thought that the, you know, adding a camera to your iPhone is going to suddenly end the concept of photographers having a career, right? Same thing with baristas. You know, what really happens is people become more appreciative of photography and you have more human beings that care more about photography and photographic concepts. Some photographers end up becoming bloggers and teachers, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Instead of of doing the photography for you, they start teaching people how to do photography better because there's an appreciation for photography that is at all-time high. Uh, and more people taking more photos, more people caring about photos, uh, gives space for experts to evolve what they do and, and how they fit into that ecosystem. But it doesn't eliminate experts or the need for expertise or creativity. It just changes it. Um, so instead of hiring a photographer to take your picture, an expert photographer teaches you how to take better pictures. Um, teaching is fun, you know. Yeah, teaching is is enjoyable. It's interacting with people, it's connecting. Uh, we need more connection in the world. So it's unlikely that that the same thing with generative generative AI in terms of imagery. You know, right now, you know, if you want to write a children's book, you have to find an illustrator typically. Um, mm-hmm. But now you can write a children's book and use generative AI as your illustrator. Um, more children's books, more people writing them. Uh, more, you know, parents writing books for their kids, kids writing their own books for other kids. It's just more inclusive, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And for those illustrators in the world that have a, a creative talent um, there'll be a place for them. There's no question in my mind. Yeah, in a way it could allow uh, people who are already very comfortable with their creative powers to push them further and then allow people who, you know, there are a lot of people who I think don't think that they're creative um, and it can right. help them realize that they are creative, that it's, I mean, creativity, as we've discussed many times, is like a, a human condition. It's not, it's not something you choose. Yeah. 
it does seem though like generative AI, at least like something like Chat GPT, probably will eliminate a lot of entry level jobs, maybe in copywriting those kind of things. But uh, it's kind of brings up this idea of it, does it eliminate a job or does it make a new starting point for that job? Yeah, I think it will. It will change what starting a new job might look like. It might advance people a lot further into doing more complex things from the start instead of starting on very rudimentary basic things. Mm-hmm. But it's more of an accelerator than it's going to, you know, be a replace. Because again, jobs are part of our construct. You know, it's their social construct. You know, so um, if companies don't. Uh, you know, create new ways for people to to serve each other, then they'll go out of business. It's just, there's always, everything's lying on some basic false assumptions, which is that every job is a necessity and that every company builds stuff we need <laughs> instead of stuff we want. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, guys, you know? I... Uh, I had an experience when I was younger where I sat at a long table with a bunch of farmers in Oklahoma. This is when I was doing post-production and they were all asking me what I do. And I'm used to people being so impressed with working on movies and what actors have you worked on, worked with. And um, <laughs> I could stop talking to this farmer and, <laughs> and I'm like, here's what I do. And he's like, what's that good for? right you grow food (laughs) you feed people i waste their time for two hours and my measure of success is just the multiplier of how many people times how many hours i've wasted for success is what we do really necessary we've already invented jobs that don't we're not in the world of necessity so We'll just keep, you know, we'll keep doing that. We'll keep going to work because we need to do something with our time and we'll invent new jobs and we'll invent new things we don't need and call them things we need. <laughs> it's what we do. It's what we do. <laughs> We're not going to stop. We're fantastic at it. <laughs> so in terms of like uh, the the real potential behind things like uh, chat GPT, uh, it kind of falls on this question that I think we get a fair amount at OneReach.ai, which is like, what's the difference between ChatGPT and OneReach? Um, and and obviously the answer to that question is 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 pretty big because uh, ChatGPT, I mean, kind of as we've been talking about, is a tool, a very powerful tool, but it it's kind of untamed if it's if it's not focused or orchestrated or sequenced. How useful is it? Yeah, the the biggest uh, misunderstanding from my perspective is that people see it as a solution and they evaluate it as a complete solution. Whether they like it or dislike it, uh, I find both sides are evaluating it like it's a complete solution unto Mm -hmm. itself. Um, And it's not. It's like one tool in a toolbox. And you have to uh, surround it with other things, other solutions, and other tools to make up 
an actual final solution. Um, so you, evaluating a hammer with alone and saying, you know, hey, with this hammer you can build a house. You're gonna you're gonna get some people going the glass is half full and going, wow, that's amazing. I could totally build a house with a hammer. Um, it'll be amazing. This is so useful. And then another person will say, you know, it's not enough. It's it's overhyped. It's just a hammer. <laughs> um, and the truth lies in both places that it's both just a hammer. Um, and that hammer is going to unlock a lot of possibilities. But it's you, you still need those other solutions and you need to weigh them in um, when you evaluate it. Power. To me, it's just a simple UI. Um, it's like looking at an interface without it doing anything, like a graphical interface and saying, how useful is this? Well, it doesn't actually do anything. Um, then it's, it's not that useful. So think of me at like a car. You want to get in the car and say, take me to work. Uh, so you open the door, you sit down, you say, I want to go to work. If all it's capable of doing is saying, good for you, work is good. <laughs> you know, that's not very useful. And so most people will criticize that. If the thing can actually operate the car and communicate with the car and get the car started and and map a path, and and then then you have something. So really... Its ability to understand you is the small piece of the overall solution. Sympathizing with you on the fact that you want to go to work isn't <laughs> very useful. <laughs> uh, so connecting it to all the different pieces of that car, the ability to drive and see, and you know, once you put it in that context, now we're talking it starts to become useful. So you need to put it in context to evaluate it. Bottom line, yeah. all this evaluation we're seeing out of context, it, it's just some people having more or less imagination than another. Yeah, and if, uh, yeah, you know, you could use ChatGPT to have a, a call center bot provide a customer with a, a very broad and understandable answer in a way, but it's, it's really not a huge improvement over an IVR or like a phone tree. If it doesn't like, if it can tap in to that customer data and deliver something a little more personalized, then that's where like you're combining something like chat GPT with, right. With other things to actually, if it's not sure, right. If you can't be sure to trust the answer. So if it says, by the way, you know, half of what I said might be wrong. Go ahead and ask me a question. <laughs> 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 like, Great, is my flight flight delayed? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, thank you. That's useful. Um. Yeah, I th <laughs> I think that where it becomes useful is when you tie it into something like the the actual software system that you know manages flight control and and has the data produce a fairly reliable answer on whether your flight's been delayed. Um, so now if GPT is able to go check that system, 
because that system has a conversational UI as well. That's the big moment. It asks another system that then asks a structured system that then has confidence and can deliver an answer and says, according to the system, there's a 95% chance that that flight will be delayed or 100% chance that flight will be delayed. Now it relays that information back to the user and says, yeah, your flight's delayed by an hour. Now you have another tool in that toolbox. Now you have a solution. Now you can evaluate it. Was it useful um, as compared to downloading an app from an airline and then getting an account and then figuring out where in that app is status and then entering the flight number that you forgot because you got to go to the email, find the flight number, then plug it in, then hit submit, then see that the flight's delayed. Yeah, I mean, by the time you've done all that, the flight's probably not delayed anymore. Right, right. <laughs> so, so yeah, or we you can move. your car because you should be paying attention to the road and not clicking around on your phone to see if your flight's delayed. Yeah. Yeah, but being able to move those, you know, 20 steps into the background for someone. Yeah. That's, that. I mean, I feel like that's when people will really lose their minds over, yeah. over so-called AI, I guess we'll say. <laughs> yeah. So I think we'll see these things emerge. We'll see more examples of them in context with other solutions. We'll see them replace traditional UIs as we know them mm-hmm. or augment them even better. Um, and people will start to understand why we're all so crazy about this um, because so much more scalable than having, you know, 150 apps on your phone. I'm going, wait, which one is the, who did I book with again? Which app do I got to go to? Yeah. Well, it's very exciting. Yeah, I yeah. think so. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Invisible Machines. Subscribe to UX Magazine wherever you get your podcasts or check in with us at uxmag.com. You can also follow UXMag and OneReach.ai on LinkedIn And if you'd like to watch this podcast, go to the YouTube Invisible Machines channel. Special thanks to UX Magazine and the marketing team at OneReach.ai for all your support with this podcast. I'd also like to thank Michael Litvinov, our video editor, who produced the amazing version that you'll see on the Invisible Machines YouTube channel. Thanks again. We will see you next week.